Regarding this question that has just been placed on my desk, I would only like to say that I can't answer it. Uh, the answer to that question only comes with years of study and living close to God. Then one day it is revealed why it is that God cannot force itself into anybody's mind, anybody's heart, or anybody's soul, that it is the individual who has to open themselves to God. Now, you have the authority that you probably accept, but you will not have the experience of believing it until it happens to you. Just let me illustrate this point. In the day when Gautama the Buddha first realized that there was sin, disease, poverty, and death, and was so horrified to find that such things existed on the earth, a torment sprung up within him to such an extent that he was able to leave his princely position, his enormous wealth, and probably what is more important to any man, his wife and child. He was able to leave every bit of that and wander away as a beggar, as a seeker after truth, in order that he might discover the great secret that would remove these sins, diseases, deaths, and limitations, poverty, from the earth. This was such a passionate call with him that he followed any teacher and any teaching that promised to lead him to the answer. Twenty-one years he roamed, wandered. Twenty-one years he sat at the feet of one teacher after another, followed the practices of one teaching after another, always with one heart hunger. What is the power? What is the presence? that will remove these evils from off the earth. And then, after he had given up all hope that the teachings and the teachers could reveal this to him, he wandered into meditation, seating himself, we're told, beneath the Bodhi tree, and there he meditated day and night until a revelation was given to him why these things are not real, they are illusion. People merely accept them and then hate them, fear them, love them, worship them, when actually they have no existence except in the mind of man, the mind that created and continues those conditions. 
And so you see, it wasn't God that forced itself, it wasn't truth that forced itself on uh, Gautama and made him the enlightened Buddha. It was Gautama's devotion to the search for God, the very passion he put into it, the very sacrifice of himself, the very willingness to travel all of India, wherever there might be a glimpse of truth, he forced the way until rising to sufficient height, truth was able to reveal itself to him. Later, in the experience of Christ Jesus, and at this present time we do not know what forced his demonstration of messiahhood we do not know what led him that is we do not accurately know we hope through these manuscripts that are being translated now the, tra the manuscripts found in, at the river Jordan <coughs> that we may come to know more about the man Jesus and uh, his life that led him into the work and the prayer that ultimately put Messiahhood, Christhood, Buddhahood into him. But this we know, that when he came to reveal what he had learned, he said, Ask, and it shall be given thee. Knock, it shall be opened unto thee. He showed that it was in the degree that we sought and knocked and pleaded in the degree that we made way within ourselves that the answer would be given to us not that we could sit around and that there was some superstitious God that could force itself into us. So you see that in the same way that if you wish to be a master of music or a master of languages or a master of literature or a master of art, God can inspire you, but you must dig, search, study, practice until that which you are seeking opens up within your own being. I do believe this that it is God that plants in us the desire to find God and that without God performing that initial function we never could and we never would succeed. I believe that. I believe that it wasn't I myself who had the knowledge or the courage to sit through 16 years of reading thousands of books, studying, reading, praying, meditating, compelling myself to sleep only three to three and a half hours a night, and spending the rest of the time in prayer, meditation, and healing work. I surely couldn't sit here and tell you that I can take credit for that, that I myself could do that. There was a power of God in me forcing me to that but there was no God that could do it for me 
no God that could save me those years of sitting alone, working alone, trying to penetrate the veil, get into the mysteries, rise to a higher state of consciousness where I too could behold the risen Jesus, the ascended Christ. Only God could make Gautama stay 21 years on that path, but only Gautama could persist and fight and pray until the veil plotted and the vision became clear. So with us. Stop believing in some kind of a miracle working far off God that can come down to earth and change you and reveal things to you while you just sit there as a spectator in a moving picture theater. It isn't so. The burden is upon you and upon me. To what degree we lend ourselves, and remember this, there isn't anyone in this room who hasn't received that same spark that Gautama received, or that Jesus must have received, or that Saul of Tarsus must have received in order to turn him into St. Paul. The very fact that we are here, the very fact that we can sit for hours at a time, quietly and at peace, with the message of God, with the word of God, the very fact that we can spend hours a day in these writings and recordings, that we can devote the amount of dollars that we do, that is the proof that we're not doing it. That the Spirit of God has touched us to the search, has invited us to the feast. Now, the degree of knocking searching, seeking, pleading, the degree of intensity that we give, the hours, in that degree will be the degree of the vision we behold. Some will see a little, and some will see a lot, and some will see it all in the degree. So, remember, it is the part that we play that ultimately leads to the degree of revelation that we receive of God's part. Above all things, carry away with you that your success will depend a great deal upon your secrecy. Because secrecy and sacredness go hand in hand. If God and the search for God is a sacred thing to you, you will never permit it to be profaned by exposing yourself to strangers, 
to what the Bible calls the obscene, that is, the profane, those whose hearts and souls are not in this direction. You will not wear your heart on your sleeve. You will not wear a sacred robe in public. You will not put on a sanctimonious face before your friends or your public. But outwardly, you will appear to be as all other men and women. Outwardly, you will speak as all other men and women. Inwardly, you will realize the sacred nature of the search for God. And you will hold it a secret within you. And you will allow it to be seen only by its fruitage in your experience, not by your voicing it not by your trying to proselyte with it, not by your trying to give it to someone whom you think needs it. That doesn't mean that we should withhold the cup of cold water. We can always offer somebody a simple writing, such as our Deep Silence, Fourth Dimension, Secret of the 23rd Psalm, Love and Gratitude, I am the vine. Those are simple things. They're deep and profound, but they're in such language as to make them appear very simple. And uh, if a person then has an inclination, they can follow it up. Never hesitate where there seems to be an opportunity to place this cup of cold water before anyone to do it, but do it in a simple way. Do it without trying to sell it. Do it without trying to force it on anyone. Do it just as an offer. Then, if the seed take root, it will unfold. Remember, the Master told us of the three types of soil, of human consciousness. The barren, rocky, fertile. You never know when you speak to a person which type they are. Sometimes... Those who seem hardest in the ways of the world are really the most ready because inwardly their heart is craving for something that outwardly they can't show. But you will know when you speak the first simple word, offer the first pamphlet, suggest that they turn to some spiritual thing, you will know by the response if there's any readiness for the next step. And always... Let the next step come from that individual. Having offered your cup of cold water, remember they must drink it. They must come back for more. Carry with you this feeling of secrecy and of sacredness. If you hold this Christ child within yourself, never expose it. The fruitage of it will be so wonderful that you will be sought out, a nation sought after, the Bible tells us, and uh, people will want to drink of our water, they will want to eat of our fruit, meat, bread. You see, everyone is entitled to whatever measure or degree of religion they wish. 
they are even entitled to have none. That is the freedom that we must give to each other, to let each have his own will within himself until that seed is planted in each that sends them out on the search for the Holy Grail. Let everyone be free, but you maintain your freedom within yourself. You need not even shock your family, your friends, because you can live your life within yourself. <coughs> the object union to be united again with that from which we became separated after the experience of Eden of the prodigal son. When the prodigal reaches that last mile that last depth of poverty, then it is that the footsteps turn back to the Father's house to be reunited. That is not an experience that happens in time or space. That is an experience that takes place within your consciousness and mind. There is some place that we reach when we are at the end of our road. We have reached that last place beyond which there seems to be nothing but despair or even death. When we have reached that place, something within us turns us to the spiritual path, then slowly we begin the path back to our father's house. Ah, yes, but now, now we have reached a place here this morning. We have reached a place that if we can speak <coughs> of time and space, we would say that we have reached the three-quarter mark on our return journey. We have reached the place where above all things we know that the kingdom of God is to be found within ourselves. We have reached the place where we know now that all of the outer forms uh, are useless in our search. We have reached the place where we know what we are seeking, reunion with that from which we seem to have become separated or realization of our oneness with God. We also know that that cannot take place outside our own being. We know that no one can do that for us. We know that only in our inner meditation, in our inner contemplation, can we find it. We know another thing. That when we inwardly have become gentle, when we inwardly feel a depth of love that almost would make us open our arms to take the world in as Jesus would like to have done in Jerusalem. Oh, how I would love to put my arms around you and draw you in. But you would not. You would also find that you too will want to open your arms and take in this world and say, Oh, stop that outside worship. Come on inside here 
and feel this warmth of love, you too will find they would not. They will not. Except the few. Now, we are of the few who know what ultimately is going to save the world. We are among the few, the few groups in all the world, and we absolutely know now what the principle is that is ultimately destined to save the world. It is above all things the acknowledgement that no man on earth is our father. There is one universal father within us and united with it we are united with every spiritual child of God throughout the world. Therefore our love to God constitutes our love to the people of the world. We no longer hate, we no longer fear. We have learned that as long as there are two powers fighting each other, one or the other will win, but it will only be a temporary victory. We know that the principle that will save the world is a withdrawing from the use of power, a withdrawing into ourselves and contemplating it our oneness with God and each other, our ability to forgive, our ability to love, our ability to serve, our ability to surrender the desire for vengeance, for revenge, our ability even to withdraw punishment from the sinner. We need not fear that that will free them for the sin punishes itself. But we need not punish. We need not seek vengeance or revenge. Our function is love. The love that comes through the realization that our union with God is our only integrity. Our love comes from the fact that we know that we are being fed not by our positions or our wealth, but by the bread that is within our own being and the wine and the water and the meat. We know that there is a wellspring of water within us. We need not lie, cheat, defraud. We know that no one else has to either. Once they know the truth that they are being divinely fed from within their own being. We know that in this union with God, we have access to the mind of God, which is infinite intelligence. We know that in our union with God, we have the source of life, truth, and love. We know that in this union with God within, we have achieved immortality, and we can demonstrate it. Not always by staying on earth forever, but by never dying, whether here or there, never dying. We know that by withdrawing from the world, use of the world's weapons, 
that we have found the only weapon that will establish peace on earth. We know that when we mentally withdraw from opposition, we know that when we sit inside ourselves looking out upon the world without the use of force, even mental force, that we have the secret that heals disease, reforms sin, overcomes lack and limitation, and unites us in the same degree of love that is uniting this little group in this room. In the same degree, we are united with every individual on the face of the globe, even if most of them have not yet become aware of us, even if they have not yet become aware of the love that we feel for them, even if they have not yet become aware of the fact that we have drawn a circle and included them in it. We know it. And our knowing it is enough because that knowledge transmits itself to those around us. It may take years, it may take centuries before he come whose right it is, that is, before the demonstration of this is on earth because we have only a little group in the United States and a little group in Canada and a little group in England and a little group in South Africa and a little group in Australia, but the little leaven must leaven the whole lump. Do you not see then that if what I am saying is true, that you feel it and that it gives you the inspiration to love it and to want to live it, then do you not see that wherever you are in time or space, if you so love God, that you will spend these many periods a day, even brief ones, tabernacling in the temple of your own inner being with this spiritual life and the spiritual love, do you not see how one here and one there will be drawn to you? And so our numbers will increase until one day everyone will witness what we are witnessing in these two weeks. You see, as an individual, we believe that it's no use. We can do nothing. We are only one in four billion. But let me show you how untrue that is. Just think of how one individual called Gautama. Look how one individual called Jesus Christ. Look how one individual like St. Paul. And I won't go through all the record of the others, but I'll bring you right up to date to Mrs. Eddy and show you how one woman, a woman living in an age when women hadn't attained their freedom or their recognition, one woman could be the inspiration for millions of people all over the world, opening them to a higher concept of God than they had ever experienced. Opening them to the realization that spiritual healing is a present possibility. It is not limited to 2,000 years ago. That was her particular mission on earth, to reveal the availability of God in our present experience. Think how far and how wide her one influence has been. 
Think of the territory I have been able to cover with nothing of a human nature to carry it out. Think of this little group here and the little groups that you have met in so many different places. Think of the widespread influence that just one individual could bring about. One individual whose only life was to find God, to solve the mysteries of life, and had no money to do it with, and no background, but had God's grace. And that's the message I want to give you. I don't care who you are, how big, how mighty, you are nothing. And I don't care how small you are, how insignificant, you are nothing. Until the grace of God touches you. Until the Spirit of God dwells in you. Until the finger of the Christ has moved you. And from then on, you are infinite. Infinite in expression. Infinite and eternal in life. Infinite in power. Infinite in experience. Infinite as an example and as a way shower. For never is it you, never is it me. It is the Spirit of God which has outlet only as human consciousness, your consciousness and mine. All the truth of the world stays locked up except in proportion as it can find a human consciousness to flow through or as out to the world of men. Remember that whatever your community may be or wherever it is, this truth may be locked up in space unless you are the instrument which gives an outlet in your community. Remember that God does not act without a consciousness through which to act. Remember that God must have saints, sages, seers. Let us put it this way. God must have simple carpenters. God must have princes. God must have simple housewives of whom God makes saints and sages and seers to send out into the world to carry the light. Almost all who have attained any degree of spiritual stature in the world have been as simple nobodies as we have been and are. And only the inspired light made them seem to be more than that to the world. In and of themselves, they were nothing. And in and of themselves, we are nothing. But in our conscious union with God, all that God is, I am. All that the Father hath is mine. The very place whereon I stand becomes holy ground because I and the Father are here. Let us rest a few moments here. Students can rise no higher in consciousness than to be at that place where the spiritual 
presence enters their heart. Students can be no higher in consciousness than to be at that place where they realize it has happened. It is here. He is here. The presence is within me. And you have attained that this morning. Almost every one of you is consciously aware of the fact that a new dimension has entered your heart. That you are entertaining a presence within you. And I must say to you that it must be your job to nurture it. There is only one way to be sure that you will not lose what you have gained this morning. There is only one way to be sure that what you have gained this morning is only a babe that may develop into full Christhood. And that way is this. Many times, turn your thought as if it were in the direction of your heart. It is only because the heart is symbolical of love. It isn't because your physical heart has anything to do with your spiritual demonstration. Although I can assure you that your spiritual demonstration will keep your heart going for as long as it needs to be on earth. But thinking of the heart as a symbol of love, as a symbol of the resting place of the Christ within us, let us several times each day turn thought to that heart in recognition that the babe is enthroned there, that the Christ has entered, that it lives with us. It is you who must keep the babe from wandering out of your heart and getting lost. It is there, for I have seen it enter. It is there, for I can feel it in this whole morning's experience. And I know that you've received it because I can feel your response. But I say to you, it is a babe. You must watch it. You must nurse it. Acknowledge it. Love it. Watch it grow as you learn the ways of loving God and of loving man. No improvement has ever been discovered, no alteration has ever been made on the two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The other commandments are unimportant, because in the obedience of these two, automatically, not only the others are obeyed, but you've gone a step beyond the law into grace. No longer plead with God for things. Let this babe do all that for you. And it won't plead, it will experience itself 
has added things. Do not look to God for favors. Do not look to God for strange powers to do things. Turn your gaze now to the place where you have already felt that gentle presence. Smile at it. Secretly and sacredly know that it's there and that it's fulfilling its function about the Father's business. This babe is given unto you to be about the Father's business of restoring for you the lost years of the locust, of returning you this last part of the journey back to the Father's house or conscious union with God. It is the function of this babe to reveal that you are living in the midst of Eden where you will always be tempted with only one temptation. There's only one evil in the Garden of Eden, only one sin, the belief in the power of good and of evil. You, sitting back inside your own temple, must be able to look at that tree at all times and resist the temptation to believe in it. You yourself must be able to say, beautiful as you look or horrible as you look, I now know there is no truth in you. There is no power of good. There is no power of evil. God in the midst of me is the only power and the only presence. Even when you have overcome the three temptations in the wilderness for yourself, you will be tempted with storms at sea. You will be tempted by the adulteress. You will be tempted by the poor. You will be tempted by the diseased to accept two powers. That's all that's happening when these temptations come to you. The world will call them cancer and consumption and polio the world will call them depression and tyrants and the world will call them by many names but you will sum them all up. This is a temptation to believe in two powers. And this Christ within me is my assurance that only Christ is power, the Son of God, the Spirit of God in me. It will never leave me nor forsake me as long as I realize and recognize and as long as I live the life it tells me to live. I look to it not only for my supply. I look to it for forgiveness. I look to it for guidance. I look to it for wisdom. Whenever a question is presented to my mind I look down toward my heart and the answer comes always in the form that it is necessary to come. <coughs> oh, do not be too literal. Sometimes, as I've told you, this presence will seem to be looking at you from over your shoulder. Sometimes it will be seeming to sit right on your shoulder. Sometimes it will appear as a face in front of you laughing at you. Sometimes smiling always assuring keep it alive 
the kingdom is not low here or there it's within you God is not outside somewhere a miracle worker the spirit of God is in you as a presence going before you to make the crooked places straight it will never leave you it will never forsake you you need not seek for your bread or your wine or your water you need not seek for companionship or homes or opportunities turn within and realize that the source of your outer life is embodied in your inner life the presence of this Christ gentle and small as it may be is the substance of every experience which you will have on the outer plane seek nothing on the outer plane of itself neither health nor wealth nor fame nor fortune seek first the realization of this inner kingdom and be a beholder as these outer things are added unto your experience do not even hesitate to turn to it for revelation why should not revelation be given to you as well as to these other revelators who have lived before you God is no respecter of persons the Buddha is only the Buddha because Gautama worked for 21 years Jesus is only the Christ because he gave himself to the world and you will be whatever degree of love there is in you for God and for your neighbor you will be whatever you permit yourself to be by acknowledging that you never can be anything because it is this gentle presence that you have felt here this morning that is to carry you through the rest of your days back into your conscious union with God you know now what your goal is in life to be reunited with the Father consciously one with God you know the way the prayer of inner contemplation meditation the recognition of the Christ the love of God the love of man and so I think that our class has fulfilled itself I think that the reason that we came together has been fulfilled for many many years I have said that the day would come when we would stop talking truth and would feel it would live it would experience it I have said to you many many times that each class can only fulfill itself if it ends on a note of reconciliation of our returning to the father's house of our feeling a love within ourselves that dedicates us to God and to man I know that this class has fulfilled itself for this morning I beheld the presence here and its symbol you carry it away in your heart you carry the message in your mind where you will always remember the principles these will help to settle you back in your seat for inner contemplation and there you will dwell upon a gift that I have given you 
delivered to you from the Father. The gift of the realized presence within you. It has taken place. Bless it always that it may increase. Thank you for this experience.